we were so excited to have Bill Schultz join us on the Sport and the Growing Good podcast. Bill is the founder of the Miracle League locally in Dane County, Wisconsin, in the Madison area, just east of Madison in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. And we were able to go out and visit him at the field that he led the way in getting built. And it was a fascinating story to hear about how he learned about the Miracle League nationally and made it happen here locally. It's a story of one man's leadership, but also of a community coming together to collaborate around a great cause, the Miracle League, and giving so many kids fun opportunities to come together and giving families opportunities to really enjoy the experience of playing sports together. Even more, in addition to learning about the Miracle League, it was so great to hear about Bill's own personal journey from the time he was young, growing up in Schenectady, New York, as a young athlete, and also working his way through the ups and downs of adults and kids and others as he was challenged with a physical disability that presented barriers at times, but also special opportunities for him. And the way he approached all of it, the positive orientation and the resilience with which he addressed all of that was inspiring. It was also inspiring to hear about the leaders who along the way gave him a chance and encouraged him and made such a difference in his life. So thank you, Bill Schultz, for joining us on sport and the growing good. Oh, upstate, upstate New York, and then, yeah. right. Yankee, New York Giant, New York Knicks fan. Okay. <laughs> and was it Schenectady? Schenectady. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a nice, nice growing up area. And uh, what was it? Uh, um, where is Schenectady in proximity to the the big city? About 125 miles north. Okay. Yeah, and it's about two and a half hour ride into the city from okay. my hometown. We used to go down to Yankee games once in the once a year, my dad and I. So Oh, was that in the air, what era of the Yankees in, uh, would that have been? What who are the when they're golden year Mickey nineteen fifties and sixties, yes. Man Mickey Mantle was my hero because uh, I, I, I read I saw a documentary on him when he was in his, uh, at the start of his Yankee career where they talked about his osteomyelitis in his leg. And my dad said, see, there's, there's somebody with a disability. Look oh, yeah. what he's doing. So, plus he was a great ball player. I didn't know that about him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that led to some knee problems later on. And, yeah, so. and so uh, did you have, you and your dad, do you have others in the family? I have an older brother, 13 years older. It was kind of like having having two, two families, my parents. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he was born before World War II, and I was born just after World War II. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh, well, we can get into this, but it's... Uh, this this all came about as a result of, you know, when I when I grew up as a kid with a disability, I lost lost my right leg about a year and a half after I was born because it didn't grow correctly, and then I have a left arm that didn't form properly and left hand, but I I just uh, I just loved anything involving a ball, and. Uh, Started watching baseball on TV, and I, I got involved in basketball and other things with my neighborhood kids. Even though I had an artificial limb, I was able to uh, keep up with the kids in my neighborhood, and we had just a blast. We, back then, you if you wanted to play a game of baseball, you found an empty lot, formed teams, and off you went. Went back home for lunch, came back out and played, and so I did that starting around the age of six, seven, eight. But when I turned eight, a lot of my friends, we all turned eight, 
we were eligible to play Little League, but you had to try out. So uh, I went up for tryouts, and, and uh, they made us hit, field, throw, run. And uh, my friend said, wow, Bill, you did, you did great. Probably did better than most of the kids here. Because I, I was just blessed with great coordination, even though with the artificial limb. But, and we were told to come back the next night and uh, to be assigned to a team. And so I went back up with my parents, and this man started, approached us, didn't look real happy, and he said, uh, Bill, I'm the commissioner of the league, and I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that we're not going to be able to let you play because with your artificial limb, you're either going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt somebody. So I went from exhilaration the night before to devastation. Yeah. So uh, fortunately out of that, um, the commissioner also coached the team in the league. And he called the next day and said, Bill, um, you're just a determined kid. I'd like to have you be our bat boy for the team. And I said, no, I'm not interested. And he said, uh, well, you get a uniform. I said, okay, I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, 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 that was a, a, a great thing because I was part of the team uh, with, my, with a lot of my friends, but also around some coaches. And uh, uh, that, that experience led years later to my interest in being a team manager in three sports in high school and two sports in college. So you had that, that commissioner was the same one who had told you you couldn't play? Right, yeah. And then in those following years, you um, you stayed involved in sport more as in a manager capacity? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Where, did you go to the high school in town? Yeah, yep. And uh, football, basketball, baseball. Um, and then in college, I went to Rutgers University. And uh, um, my fo uh, head football coach in high school called a football coach at Rutgers and said, I want to tell you about a kid that I think, I think he'd be a great team manager. And so when I got to Rutgers, they immediately recruited me to be the, the team manager, which was great. Uh, quite a jump in terms of responsibilities, yeah. but also it went from an activity to somewhat of a business for that coach. Yeah. Um, and then I also uh, was a team manager for varsity lacrosse. Wow. And uh, that was coached by one of the assistant football coaches. But uh, that was a fabulous, I mean, with the football team, uh, it was, there was so much involved. Uh, and it was, it was grunt work. It was dirty work, but, you, you know, you loved it. And I, that's where I first appreciated people that work behind the scenes and really make make the team better and yeah. so forth. Um, but then, uh, yeah, years later when I started a family uh, and had a son, uh, he was really into sports. And uh, I got ultimately to get involved in Little League coaching. Coached him for six years, but stayed on for another nine. Wow. So I coached for about 15 years, Little League baseball. And I coached youth basketball. Uh, and I remember all my coaches that, you know, I was around. And I just was like a, like a sponge. Whenever I got a chance to sit with one or hear them, that was, I was, I was there. And so um, I was able to stay in sports, not, not on the playing field, but yeah. uh, involved in the team. Were there certain... Um coaches along the way and we can we is there a better spot you want to sit, sit, sit down here yeah yeah were there certain coaches along the way that were impactful upon you um whether it be like when you were still a young kid or at the high school level yeah yeah there was uh, uh i tried out for the junior high junior varsity junior high varsity basketball team I went home to my parents and said, uh, I want to run something by you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try out. And I had played basketball around the neighborhood and was a pretty good shooter. But, yeah. uh, and so, uh, I went through tryouts 
But the nice thing was, first of all, for the coach to do that was great. Yeah. But uh, I came to the own the realization myself that I physically could not run up and down the court uh, that much. Mm -hmm. And and the coach took me aside and said, "Would you be interested in being the team manager?" And I said, "Well." Yeah, I kind of had that experience in Little League. Yeah, let's, let's do that. But the guy that really went, and then when I moved up to high school, we had an orientation day uh, at the school. And this man came up to me and he said, Bill, I'm Coach, I'm coach Booth. I'm the varsity football coach. And I've heard a lot about you from the junior high coaches. And uh, would love to have you consider being a student manager for the football team. And he had probably the greatest influence on me as far as coaches go because uh, he, in he included me in everything. The other thing was he didn't take me on as a token kid, feel-good mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. I, I remember one situation where fortunately it was a, it was a uh, preseason football game we played against another high school. And uh, we got to the school and to the field and the coach said, where are the footballs? And I said, uh-oh, I forgot the footballs. <laughs> and, and instead of being it's okay, he chewed me out in front of the whole team. <laughs> and I walked away saying, you know, I, I deserved it, but it also made me feel good that he, he stressed the importance of me being part of the team. Mm -hmm. And he did that for... I mean, I was a student manager for four years, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, and just the values and principles and how he coached, and uh, it, was, it was just a, a real impact. And then we had a – That was Coach Booth? Coach Booth. Yeah. And then at the end of the uh, – end of high school, our annual banquet, he shocked, surprised me by – uh, he was giving out awards and letters and so forth, and he says, I have, I have someone else I want to talk to you about. And it was, uh, he gave me a special award, which I still have at home, which shows all my sports, and that, that, that just was an incredible, incredible experience. Uh, so he, Was he the same one that connected you then at Rutgers? Yeah. You made the call. Yeah, he made the call. And, but the other, there were two or three other coaches in high school that were just as good. I mean, I was around them a lot because they were kind of uh, the assistant coaches and the head coach would be out on the field yelling at the players and the assistant coaches were uh, there as well. But they would they would let me ask questions or talk to talk to them or whatever. And uh, Later on after I graduated from high school and college, uh, we became we continue to become friends. I, when I came home for college, we we had we got to play golf together and talk about life and you know and that sort of thing. So yeah, they they were great. The college coaches were. I had to had to understand that this was their profession, mm -hmm. and they couldn't be maybe as personal. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first, it was a shock because I thought I could build a relationship with him but that that was not a priority and I, I totally understood that you know so yeah uh, but to be able to uh, have the coaches I had in high school uh, and the junior high coach uh, had just an incredible impact on me. You, you mentioned the, the something as trivial as getting a uniform um, yeah. as a yeah. little league kid yeah. um, those little things that seem like they kind of make a big difference, getting an award, getting a recognition, um, that you still remember them to this day. Well, yeah, you feel appreciated, but also uh, it was just kind of a feeling of acceptance. The other thing, I, that other thing that made me feel really good was for my parents because they could have easily shut me down and said, Bill, it's, too, it's not safe. You know, why don't you go and learn how to play the piano or, or mm -hmm. do something, you know, less physical. But... Uh, they they just let me try. I had an I had an aunt who uh, was my mom was a worrier. Although she I, she told me once that every time I went out to work out to play she 
kind of went in the back bedroom and prayed. But uh, my aunt was an athlete, and she uh, she taught me how to swim. Uh, she taught me how to play golf. Uh, golf became a, a great sport for me too. And in the summer times, I played every day. Mm. Got down to about a ten handicap. Wow. Just uh, because the, the the foundation of confidence was built from my parents, teachers as well, but the coaches. I mean, mm. I just they didn't look. When I went back from my fiftieth high school reunion. Uh, most of the guys said, Bill, we never considered you disabled. We considered you just one of the guys. Mm -hmm. So, And a lot of those relationships were built in the sports setting? Sports setting, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and um, so sports is, is a major fabric of my life. Yeah. You know? Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, boy, there's a lot I would like to ask you about. <laughs> Um, before asking you more about the Miracle League, about that period, so you stayed very active in sport um, through college with working with the teams at a high level. Yeah. And then you mentioned coaching youth sports, your own son's teams. Yeah. Um, what What did you do in life? What were some of the big kind of places you were and what did you do kind of career-wise between college and those many years between college and starting yeah. this league? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think sports – Sports gave me a, a, a level of self-confidence that helped me when I started looking at careers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Schenectady was a big general electric town. And uh, I, I took business administration in, co in school. And I, I really got interested in business. And so um, I really put my, put my focus in on a business career in a, in a, in a corporation. Uh, I just enjoyed it, mm -hmm. but um, one of the things was I said, I'm not going to go to work for GE because it's in my hometown. I want to be somewhere else in a different in a different company, uh, and I ended up with GE. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I learned that, um, and I, I, you know, I eventually for 30 years I was a, an executive recruiter. For companies that uh, looking looking for sales and marketing people around the country, that was my main mm -hmm. profession. I was with GE for 15 years and then got into the uh, recruiting. And when I when I told candidates, I said, you know, part of the the reason why you're going to be successful is is uh, your relationships. And uh, when I was looking for a job, my father's best friend was a vice president at GE Corporate, and he, he always told my dad, you know, when Bill will start looking for a career, let me know, I'd love to make a call for him. And I was kind of against it, but my dad said, you know, we all need, we all need that help to get in the door. Don't feel bad about that. And, and uh, so I reluctantly at first went to work for GE, which turned out to be some of my best Friendships are still hanging around from, you know, my GE days. Yeah, yeah. Problem with recruiting is that uh, it was it was very fulfilling when you you filled a position for a company that that had had that need, but you didn't build the relationships necessarily with the candidates because you know you you move on to your next. Assignment. Yeah, right, right. And so, uh, but I just uh, yeah, I was a uh, in sales and marketing for 15 years with three or four different uh, parts of GE's business, which was really fabulous. But even though in those years, um, going back to my team manager times, I realized the importance of, of people that were in the kind of a support environment. Mm -hmm. And a number of the jobs that I took were had that a large element of support in it. And I I realized that it wasn't uh, a step down from management necessarily, but a really important part of the success of a company. Mm -hmm. I mean, later on, I got to become manager. And when I became a manager, I always made sure that the support people knew how, you know, how important they were. Again, it gets goes back to that team manager. There's experience. so many like studies and like research statistics about the, you know, people who were, 
very um, involved in athletics and how that paid dividends down the line in life skills, but even in leadership stuff, like there's some crazy number about percentage of executives who were like, you know, played college sports or played high school sports, that kind of thing. So I could see clearly how that must have shaped you a lot. I was wondering about your perspective as you mentioned uh, coaching your son, um, why you decided to do that. Well, it got me back into coaching, but also I thought it would be a thrill to do something with my son that he loved to do and I would love to do. And uh, the hardest part was whenever you coach your own son, you tend to be tougher yeah. on him. <laughs> and I always had to uh, bite my lip, although I didn't bite it enough sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> but I think he appreciated uh, that I was just trying to make him better. Mm -hmm. uh, he ran into a coach in high school that was... Uh, just kind of too much over the top, mm -hmm. and he uh, he would he wouldn't he didn't take it the right way, but he'd come home and I'd say, "Look, Brian, this is remember me and when I would coach you in yeah. little league. Yeah, he's trying to make you better. Yeah, he's, don't take it personally. Yeah. So, um, in fact, when I was in a recruiting, if I saw somebody in a resume who was an athlete, uh, I immediately called them because I knew. There was that competitive spirit in there and the team the team element because mm -hmm. in sales you're looking for the competitive uh attitude and someone who is not afraid of goals yeah even if they might be tough and athletes invariably were very very successful in sales yeah, yeah. um we have behind us this beautiful spot and i know part of what we're doing here is we're recording audio wise so we'll try to kind of describe yeah. what's here we had, yeah. do have landry feel free to wander around as we're talking anywhere you want different angles um but uh well, let me take it but i'd be interested just in as we're walking out here um hearing the story i read a bit about you were watching one night you and your wife yeah we were uh, watching, you saw uh, a story about Yes. Yeah. What what was that story? We were watching NBC Nightly News one night, and they have a, a segment called Inspiring America. And the next thing I see on TV is kids with wheelchairs, walkers, kids with Down syndrome, autism, spina bifida, cerebral palsy, playing baseball on a little league-sized field. And if you ask my wife, I don't tear up very easily, but yeah. I was tearing up because... That could be, you know, that could have been me. That was, but at the same time, I said, "What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing I'm feeling." Well, it turned out to be it was actually a Boston Red Sox pitcher named David Price, who wanted to do something for his hometown in Tennessee, and he heard about the Miracle League, and uh, he helped finance the building of this Miracle League field and I'm looking at it I'm saying and then they, they described it it's a it's got a custom designed rubberized turf colored just like a baseball field with walk-in dugouts so kids with wheelchairs or walkers or mobility issues can, can experience being in a being in a dugout um, and playing positions um, usually we have um, so, so just as I'm looking at it, mm -hmm. I'm seeing uh, it's it all very level. Even the base yeah, paths totally that uh, are not what you would see at a you know major league park, but they're all level. Yeah, and that's to make it more Safe. accessible, make safer safe. for all yeah. kids. I'll show you. Uh, Uh, this video scoreboard isn't on, but there is where we have banners of, of donors. But also, uh -huh. when the kids are up to bat, we show their picture with a bat on their shoulder, the, their team name, um, and then we play their favorite song as they walk up. Oh, really? Yeah. When they sign up, we ask them what their favorite, their favorite? song is. And do they do they recognize that's oh, happening? They it's it's a highlight. In fact, we have some kids. Peter, that when they come up the bat and they hear their name, they look out and they see the picture on the screen. They drop the bat and run out and, <laughs> and stand there for a few minutes and then come back and bat. Yeah, <laughs> that happened a lot. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. But we also have uh, this is filled with 
sponsor banners and so can I ask you how it, so you, you watch this on the news yeah. and now we're standing here on the field. What were some of the key steps? I'm, oh, I'm sure yeah. there was a long slog to get to where we are now. Yeah. What were some of the key things that happened or people that helped you or how did you make it happen? Yeah. Well, the minute, uh, my wife saw me, she said, I know exactly what you're going to do now. You're going to check into this. So, uh, their, their headquarters are in Atlanta. And I called them up and I said, uh, I am calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Do you have any Miracle Leagues in uh, Wisconsin? I said, oh yeah, we got one in Green Bay, Appleton, Milwaukee, Kenosha, Claire, and La Crosse. I said, how about Madison? No, we don't. I said, well, I'm, I might be interested in this. Um, do you have any orientation coming up? She said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're having an orientation next week. So I flew down to Atlanta and it, it affirmed everything that I had heard and more so on television. So I flew down, uh, went to orientation and came back and she said, and, and they helped us in terms of, okay, here's your game plan for getting this done. Um, and the first one was, was finding land. And she said, that'll be your toughest situation. So their orientation was everything from the very nuts and bolts of finding the space all the way through how you run the league, yeah, whatever. But it was totally up to us to to get it done. So how did you find the space? We're out here on the in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin, just on the out east side of Madison. Yeah. So uh, living on the west side, I called the Middleton Parks and Recs superintendent, thinking, okay, Middleton might be a possibility. So I went over and saw him. He says, Bill, as a matter of fact, I helped build the. Miracle League field in Appleton, so mm. I know all about it. Mm. He said, unfortunately, we don't have any land in Middleton available, but you know what? We gotta find a place for this. So he called a meeting of all the parks and rec superintendents in Dane County. Wow. And about eight of them showed up, and uh, it included Madison, uh, Wanakee, Verona, uh, Fitchburg, uh, the Forest, Cottage Grove, and uh, at the end of my presentation, the Madison guy was pretty funny. He says, darn, he says, you know, I, I was just hired to do some, bring in some inclusive activities in Madison. But she, you know what, Bill, do you know anything about Madison politics? Oh. oh. He said, I'm having trouble even putting a swing set in <laughs> in a neighborhood because they're worried about traffic. Yeah. So, yeah. plus I... There, there's no land right now, but I said, if you can wait five years, we're, uh, we're planning a complex out, out by Ho-Chunk Casino, which is actually going to happen here in like two or three years. But you, you don't really, you don't really want to wait that long. Mm -hmm. Well, the next morning, I get a call from the Forest Parks and Rec Superintendent and the Cottage Grove Superintendent. Both were involved in expanding existing parks. And... Uh, they said, we, we already have called our civil engineering firm. You told us how much square footage we needed, and we're going to send you some plans. Wow. And so... So those were the key. They, they made it happen. Yeah. So the following yeah. week, they both sent... The DeForest thing had two things against it. One was the restrooms were quite a ways away from the field, but they, the kids would also have to uh, cross a parking lot. Okay. But they also said, well, you can, you can build some restrooms near your park, but you'd have to pay for it. They were willing to give us uh, a break on the land. Well, Cottage Grove just went out of their way. And when I came out here, I was not really impressed because the only thing here was the playground. Mm -hmm. Splash bed wasn't here. The shelter was just a small shack. Uh, and I said, well, okay. But they, they showed me their plans. And they said, Bill, what we're going to do is I was going to put tennis courts in this area right here, but I'm going to postpone those. This would be the square footage you needed, and I'd like you to come to the village board and tell us your, your plans and so forth. And so I did that and came back uh, and a year lease to wow. this land. Plus, he showed me what they were doing here. It's been fabulous. I mean, the kids, the, the, one of the, one of the, one of the uh, keys of a miracle league is that you have 
some activity for the siblings. Oh, right. And and usually near a playground. Well, yeah. they already had one. Yeah. So uh, this all worked out. So we got the land, and now I needed some expertise in construction. And uh, I called a friend friend of mine who coached Little League with me. And he said, you know, Bill, my brother just um, retired from Findorf, which is a big oh. construction company yeah. in town. Yeah. And he's a big, big baseball fan. And he might be willing to help you out. So I had, uh, name is Greg Sweeney, and I had coffee with him. And as we're talking, I could tell he went from hesitant to totally, totally excited. Yeah. And he said, Bill, I could get a real I could really get into this. And what a what an incredible resource. He he literally I said, Greg, it's all yours. Here's what we have to do. Here's all the everything that we want to get involved, everything that we need to do, the dimensions, everything, concrete. You're you're the you're the project engineer on this, and he 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 did all of this. He just managed the whole process. In the meantime, though, while I got him excited, we had to get money. Little detail yeah. there, yeah. Uh, about five hundred thousand dollars to to build what we thought we could build, uh, and very very slow start. People loved the concept. They said, well. Um, Keep in touch. Mm -hmm. I don't think they really knew what, whether we, they didn't, I don't think they could visualize the concept, but also they didn't want to be the first ones in the door necessarily yeah. on an on a unsure thing. Well, we got a couple of foundations in Madison to give us some seed money. Um, but when COVID hit, we had about $140,000. We could have gotten by with 420, but we're, yeah. we're shooting for it. So we were 280 short of what the, the minimum was. Mm -hmm. So COVID hits, and uh, I just told our guys, look, let's let's think about 2022 rather than 2021. So. Uh, we got a couple more donations, but then I got a call from an attorney in town who represented a, a couple who heard about our Miracle League idea. And he called me and said, Bill, they want to uh, give you a significant contribution. I need more information. So I sent it to him and a week later, I'm driving into my driveway and he said, Bill, where are you? I said, well, I'm in my car. Turn your car off. I need to talk to you. <laughs> So he uh, he said, this couple, you're, you're 280 short. They're gonna they're they're gonna give you a matching gift of $140,000. Wow. So if you get a match, you got your 280. Plus, they're gonna give you $100,000 for first year operating costs. Wow. And I was just floored, yeah. just totally floored. Uh, and since then, uh, I called. I called him and said, "This was a year later. We're thinking of. I think down the road we're going to need lights." <laughs> and they said, "How much is it going to cost?" And so they gave us another matching gift. Wow! And when I announced that matching gift, both of them, we matched the first gift in three months. When people heard that, number one, we were, we had made progress in. Mm -hmm. Pouring concrete. They came aboard. They came on board. And when we talked about the lights, that took about a month and a half to, to uh, uh, these cost about 130. So they, wow. they they bought us. They gave us 65. These are LED lights that are just incredible. So now, what we're able to do is we have. Um, so that's that's in. 2021. The next step, okay, now we got to recruit kids. Yeah. <laughs> and volunteers. Uh, so uh, we then really began to try to learn about the whole disability community in Bain County. 
case managers, agencies, special ed teachers, trying to get the word, who are these people and telling what our mm -hmm. vision is. Uh, and so we expected about 50 kids the first year and we got 90. And uh, that, that first year was really successful. And so the word got out. And so this past year we had 200 kids. Wow. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I became kind of the visionary and missionary yeah, for this. For the whole thing. But we were able to recruit some people that uh, run the games and Greg, who built this place and keeps it up. Uh, uh, in the meantime, we're, you know, we're just in a, I think parents initially were worried about safety. So that first year, second year, Karen's told me, you know, Bill, the reason why we didn't sign up the first year was we didn't know how safe it was. But when we came out and they said, wow, this is fabulous. Because the volunteers, which we call buddies, yeah, are beside the child the moment they come through this. I wanted to ask you about the kind of the, so we're here right at the gate of onto the field. Yeah. And so it's, it's locked right now, but the kids... They sign up for like a six-week, eight-week eight summer league. Yeah. And can you just say how it works? Like how does not not we don't need too many details, but just in terms yeah. of like the how does it happen? Yeah. How does it come? How, what does it look like when you come out here? Well, um, first of all, they play uh, eight games in the summertime, eight weeks, uh, one night a week, and uh, they play a two-inning game, and each team has 14, 14 kids on a team. And so they play a two-inning game. Everybody, every child hits, runs, bases, and scores a run. So we go through the batting lineup twice, once, once every inning. And the uh, volunteers greet their player here and are with them from the moment they step on the field, in the when they're, they're in the dugouts or wherever they're going, until the game is over and they deliver their child back to the parents. Are the volunteers like high school age kids or all different ages? Where do you get the volunteers? Yeah, it's been very gratifying that I think the major percentage is high school kids. And the impact these kids have on the high school kids, they get inspired. Yeah. You know, they come away and thinking, uh, gosh, I didn't realize these kids could do this. and. And then I think they're thinking their own way. Well, maybe I could do more than what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, they yeah. just walk. And the impact on the parents, uh, whenever I, whenever we have a game out here, I watch the parents and talk to the parents as much as you know, watching the kids. The parents are just overwhelmed with joy. I mean, uh, you see mm -hmm. tears, you see happiness, they meet other parents, but we don't let them volunteer because we want them to sit in the stands, enjoy the game, send their siblings to a playground, and just just take it all in. And you see the kids, Peter, start with, uh, most of these kids never played baseball before. Mm -hmm. Maybe don't even know what baseball is. Um, but you see them starting in the shell. And then about the third or fourth week, they start coming out of their shell, and you see a personality develop you see the smile on the face you see him hit the ball finally better uh, and what we also did with the teams the last two years is we had kids uh, of different ages on each team so we might have a five-year-old boy with autism and a 12-year-old boy with down syndrome and, and it was funny the dynamics was that the little kids looked up to the older kids and the older kids protected the little kids nice yeah, a little brother, a little sister. Uh, that was that was just funny. So they started. This was it became hilarious. Um, they started understanding baseball a little bit more. But they would come off after they scored a run. They they give a high five to the next player. They'd go up to the stands and go like this. <laughs> we have four or five kids that are just uh, just incredible. They just come up to the stands. And, they go like this, and the parents just go, go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have some kids that are uh, 
very sensitive to sound. Mm. So we have this thing where the announcer will say, quiet, please. And that signals the parents in the stands to have a silent clap. Mm. So when the kids look over, they see people clapping and pretend like they're yelling um, and you know things like that that, that we've kind of picked up on. We've got a few kids that will not go up the bat until they hear their song. So that triggers it. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that uh, kids with autism, Down syndrome especially, do not like change. Mm-hmm. You know, they're into a routine and so forth. So the volunteers, we emphasize that try to commit to the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very least, a, a child might have two, two buddies, but more than that would be disruptive. They would they would not react well to that. So it's uh, uh, and these volunteers become really attached to these kids and to the families. And most of the volunteers, and uh, most of them came back the second year. You know, we again they wanted to they wanted to volunteer with the same same player. Yeah. So they have durable um, relationships. They stand. They're not just like a one and done each week. No. No. Yeah. But we also had to, we, all the all the volunteers are trained because we say, look, this, they're not going to act normally. For example, if a kid runs down the first base and keeps running out to the fence and around, and then comes back and floats around, it's okay. You know, yeah. it's just that's the way it is. Or yeah, we have kids that just uh, want to s- slide into each base, or some kids. Uh, the biggest challenge is the start of the season where we announce their name and they're, they're too shy to come out of the dugout. Mm-hmm. The volunteers are there to encourage them. The coaches mm-hmm. are trained properly. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just, I, I can't, uh, it's beyond words, Peter, how this is all, has all come about, but, but the, the end product is just fantastic. And to be honest, um, uh, when I look at these kids, I see myself out there. Uh, but it also makes me realize, like my own life, that these kids don't have, really don't have a, you can't define them, you can't have a defined boundary on these kids. These kids can do more than probably what you think they can. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, if I'm old enough, if I can live long enough, I'd love to see these kids older and see see how they're doing but uh, and we've had a couple of what I would call miracles that people would uh, relate to we had a we had a boy that uh, his mom said came up to us after a game and said um, he, he was seven years old he said Bill he's, he's never spoken a word since he was born and on the way home from a game, he said, baseball. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I said, well, well, we probably can't can't give Miracle League all the credits. Well, Bill, you know, the, the, the impact on him got him to start talking. Wow. And then we had another boy last season, cerebral palsy. His dad would, would uh, behind, be behind him and help him, drag him all the way around the bases so he could, unbeknownst to us, <clears throat> um, the boy's goal was to stand on his own two feet and walk some steps um, before the end of summer. And one night, some of the volunteers, I'm actually, I was actually volunteering, I was actually interviewing with Channel 27 at the time, and my back's to the, back's to the field and, Bill, Bill! Look, look, look. So I look around and, and there's this boy standing on his own two feet and starting to walk. Wow. Right on the field. Right on the field. But but better better thing to yeah. feel. But again, you know, you can't give Miracle League all the credit, but we have but you can tell that when these kids come out of their shell, the parents are saying, We say a bit we see a big difference. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we, we have a little bit of different attitude ourselves in that, you know, maybe we should let our child try some other things. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's uh, so it's not just the kids; it's the parents as well. Oh, the, the, the parental impact is is just it's just incredible. I got I got more more emails after the season thanking me and telling me the impact it's had, not only on their child but on us as parents. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Um, well, you said you just to kind of come full circle. Um, you said you see yourself in these kids. I can't imagine what it must feel like to be sitting here leaning against the fence of this project that started with you seeing a story on TV. That must be quite a oh. gratifying feeling. Yeah, there, there, are, there are nights out here where I just start um, whimpering in, mm -hmm. in happiness. Just I go out on the field once in a while and just stand there and watch a game uh, or go through the dugouts and talk to the kids. And, you know, they, they they don't view them uh, I didn't feel this I never I never uh, called myself disabled or handicapped um, I didn't view myself that way and I can see these kids don't unless you hammered that in their head you know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a kid mm -hmm. uh, and you can see that that they're kind of locked a lot of these kids are locked in their own body and their own situation where they can only do so much but when they when they're able to do something, uh, you can see we're all we're all, we're all born with uh, a human spirit of of desire, determination, perseverance. If it's fed, if it's not fed, it's uh, and activities like this, uh, you know, really really feed upon that. You know, yeah. so when my parents allowed me to. I mean, when I went out the door as a kid, as, uh, as a six and seven year old, I mean, my mother was just a, a wreck. Uh, because this is back in the late 40s, early 50s, where kids with disabilities were typically um, not seen in public, mm -hmm. either because of shame, but also safety. So you didn't, you didn't see them outside. I mean, I'm, out, I'm outside with these kids playing. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I broke my artificial limb playing sports. Yeah. And my mom and dad could have just said, "Okay, that's it. You know, it's we're going to stop." But they they did. And my aunt, who was a, I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to learn how to swim. That was, I told my aunt, "I'll do anything else, but I don't want to <laughs> learn how to swim. I don't want to drown. I don't want you know." Yeah. So she finally said, "Bill, you got to learn how to swim. What if you were in a boat and..." Uh, the boat went over. You, you gotta learn how to swim. I said, well, okay. So you're thinking it's it's more for it's more for safety, okay? But I was just petrified. So she took me to a local Y, and I got to the edge of the pool. I had crutches underneath my arms, and I said to her, "No, I'm I'm not interested." You know, that's. <laughs> The next thing I knew, I was in the water. She pushed me. <laughs> Your sweet aunt. <laughs> and I said, "I'm done." You yeah. Know? And the next thing I, re I felt was she was she, she dove underneath me, and took my arms and said, "Okay, kick your feet, kick your feet, kick your feet." And I became a, I became a fish. I became a fish after that. I mean, it was like, so you got to have, you got to be pushed a little bit. You got to be exposed to things, and and that that, that holds true with kids with. All kinds of uh, disabilities, or mm -hmm. I mean, even kids who don't have disabilities that just hold back. You know, you gotta. These kids just want to be. They just want to be accepted, you know. And this this program allows them to, you know, kind of feel that way. Yeah. Well, my final question for you: uh, What's next? You've done so much in these just short period of time. What? comes upon all these successes yeah um, parents have uh, I, I would love to have uh, this same program for adults uh, I've talked to uh, the Down syndrome society in town they have a number of adults who just love to play sports are able to but don't have a place to necessarily play it mm -hmm. and so and I think that holds true for, for adults with a lot of types of disabilities. So uh, we'd love to do that. The lights 
we're allowed to uh, have uh, games later for older adults, mm -hmm. but it also might facilitate building another field where the fences are further out or whatever. Uh, one downstairs guy came on. He said, "Bill, this is a, you're going to see more balls hit around over the fence." Than inside the fence <laughs> with some of these guys. So anyway, some people have asked us, uh, how about building one on the west side? Right now we have 30% of our kids are from the west side. Mm. Um, and I was told that distance will not deter mm -hmm. parents from mm -hmm. getting involved. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to kind of People are coming up with so many ideas, yeah. uh, and certainly, I want the focus to continue to be on children. But at the same time, there is a—I think there's a a large group of adults uh, with all types of disabilities that this would 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 help them yeah. in their lives and activity and being active and and maybe help their outlook in life. Uh, so I, I mean, I think now of, uh, I thank my aunt for getting me involved in golf because it's an activity, but also it allowed me to uh, interact with other people. Uh, two of my jobs that I got, um, I interviewed on the golf, on the golf course. course. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I had two bosses that were avid golfers yeah. and they said, "Hey, Bill, I hear you like the golf. Let's go out and play around the golf. This is in the, this is uh, like the second interview." Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, after I got hired, I said, "Well, what what were you looking for? You know, was was the golf game part of?" It? Yeah. We wanted to see how you uh, how you handled when things didn't go well, mm -hmm. and uh, your attitude, but also, did you have a positive one? Yeah. So. Well, in our little program that we have, we're trying to develop um, leaders, and um, it's just so inspiring to learn from you. I can't imagine a better model for our all of our young leaders across all sports. So just thank you so much well, thank you, for Peter. taking the time well, with well, us to it. hear your inspirational journey. Yeah.